Hi, everyone. Hello. So we're reading from the book of Acts, chapter 12, verse 25 to 13, chapter 13, um, verses 1 to 5. So it says, When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with, the, with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they, play, they placed their hands on them and set, sent them off. Verse 4. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. Thank you so much. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you, Pastor Greg, for those kind words. And thank you for... Uh, the privilege to serve you and the church this afternoon by uh, preaching the word. And um, thank you, Pastor Bert, for your leadership uh, in our movement here in Canada. And nice to see you all. As you can see, we have a lot of uh, every nation leaders here with us. So I'm not really sure why Pastor Greg, I, I think they're just picking on me. Everyone was just saying, you know, we're so excited to hear you preach the word today. I just, I just tell them, well, I'm so scared. <laughs> well, thank you for reading the scriptures today. Uh, uh, what a great book, right? The book of Acts. And I'm so excited um, to, to preach from this book. Because whenever I read from the book of Acts, um, it's just so action-packed, right? It's one of those books. I love history. Uh, I'm, I'm a history buff. So whenever I read the book of Acts, there's something new that uh, I discover from the book, a new connection, like, uh, oh, Paul met this guy. So I read this before, but I didn't see that detail before. But whenever I read it, there's a new detail, a uh, new leadership insight. Uh, but more importantly, you know, when I, when I read the book of Acts, the thing that I really appreciate about it is that it brings me back to how the church started. And uh, it brings me back to what the church originally was like, the early church. And if, like me, you've been in church for quite a while, um, it's, a, it's a good thing for us to go back to the book of Acts because you might have gotten used to the, some things uh, that the way we do church, well, it's good, good to go back to the book of Acts and see how they did it back then. And if you're new... Um, to church, if you're new here uh, and wondering what is this thing that I just got myself into, why did I take this invite? Uh, and uh, I think this is the best time, one of the best times for you to be here in Every Nation Vancouver as they go through this series in, on the Book of Acts because it answers precisely that question. What is this thing that I just got myself into? What is this church thing? What is the purpose of the gathered church? I think that's how... Um, Jonathan described it 
during the introduction of the series, what its role and function. And I believe that you've been through the series, uh, uh, a great series over the last several months. But today we will look at how or why missions has been part of the church since the very beginning. And from what Gia read today, it started in verse 25 of chapter 12. It says there, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. So if they're returning from Jerusalem, you know, when I was studying this, where did Barnabas and Paul, apparently they're, they're, they have Mark with them, where are they coming from? Why is Luke telling us specifically that they have returned from Jerusalem, right? And where are they now? Where they have returned to? And why did they return to this place? I think these questions that we get from reading that just first verse uh, from our text today prepares us for the details that Luke wants us to see in the verses that would follow in 13, chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. So they have just returned from Jerusalem. And it says then in verse 1 of chapter 13, now there were in Antioch. There were in the church in Antioch. So apparently they're now in Antioch. Luke is about to give us more details from the way I see it about this church in Antioch. And this is the way I sometimes you know, uh, make sense of what I read from the Bible. I try to dissect it into sections. So the next uh, following verses, specifically from chapter 13, uh, verses 1 through 5. I think this is what Luke is trying to tell us here. Three things about this Antioch church. And uh, the church that Paul and Barnabas are, and Mark, together with them, are returning to. He wants to give us a description of this church and then tell us about the devotion of this church. And as a result of that de uh, devotion, the mission of this church. Um, first of all, the description. Luke gives us a brief description of the church in Antioch. It says in verse 1, Now there were in Antioch, or in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers. And he lists their names, Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manan, and Saul. So this is where Paul and Barnabas are now. In, in this church in Antioch, they have just returned from Jerusalem. Apparently, this is a church. And I think in order for us to understand a little more about what this church is about, let's go back to the history of this church. I hope not to bore you with history. I just happen to like history. Let's dig a little deeper into the history of this church. So we see here Paul is one of the leaders. Um, Paul, had a, uh, Paul had a deep impact to this church. But not because he planted the church, although he did plant a lot of churches later on. But this is not one of those churches that he planted. He, had a, he made a deep impact to this church because he used to destroy these kinds of churches. He used to persecute uh, churches and he used to persecute people who were part of this new movement 
uh, people following a certain Jesus at that time. And we all know later on, uh, after persecuting the church, Paul had a dramatic conversion. And uh, as a result of this conversion, you know, from a Pharisee who used to be so zealous in persecuting the church, uh, and now he's now slowly becoming part of this new movement, uh, what happened is that his former friends from the movement that he used to be a part of, they now hate him for turning his back on them and being part of this new movement. But this new movement that he's now a part of, the people there, they distrust him. So he's kind of in a weird place. He can't find his place. So, but there's one person whose name we have already heard, Barnabas. Barnabas is the only person who vouched for him. We see that in Acts chapter 9. It says in verse 20, verses 26 and 27, And when he had come to Jerusalem, meaning Paul, he attempted to join the disciples. How many of you have been into that kind of situation, like what Tara was explaining earlier? I know I'm new to church, but I don't really know how to get connected. Well, this was Paul. He went to Jerusalem. He, he's new in the faith. He attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him. If you're new here, we're not afraid of you, just to, to let you know. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. They were distrustful of him. But verse 27 says, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he has seen the Lord. And he told them about the story of what happened to Paul. And it's now one of us, Barnabas said. Imagine if Barnabas wasn't there. We wouldn't have probably have Paul. So we have to thank those people who reach out to us, right, and been instrumental in our becoming part of a church because this is the same experience that Paul had during his time. But the thing is that Paul didn't stay for a long time in Jerusalem because, as I've mentioned, his life was in danger. You know, the people who he used to be a part of, they wanted to kill him, and these new people that he's now a part of, they, he's not really into this movement yet. They haven't really accepted him. So they send him back to Tarsus, his hometown. And we don't hear about him again until about, in the, in the book of Acts, it's only about two chapters. But if you read another letter that Paul wrote later on, it's about 10 or 14 years. We don't hear about him again until about 14 years later. And although Paul had been converted, bear with me here because we're going to go to how this church in Antioch started. It's just connected to how to the life of Paul as well. Although Paul had been converted, the persecution that he used to be a part of, it did not stop. In fact, it escalated to the point that Christians in Jerusalem, where the persecution was happening at that time, they had to flee. Um, there's a term that I heard, it's it's a gathered church like us, it's called, you know, ekbalo, I think in Greek, the gathered church. But at this point, they were sent out, apostelloed. And we'll get to, back to those two words later, ekbalo, to gather, and then apostello to be sent. And we see that in Acts, this time in chapter 11. It says there in verses 19, 21, and then we'll jump to 26. 
Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death, traveled, they traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. So these are the people who have been persecuted in, in Jerusalem, new Christians. And Paul used to be a part of that, why, why these people are now leaving Jerusalem. They were scattered, they preached the word of God, but only to Jews at that time. However, and this is a good turning point for us as we get to know more about this church in Antioch. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus, so some people from Jerusalem, they've been moved to Cyprus. For some reason, they're now in Antioch, probably to do business, probably to trade. For some reason, however, it says there, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. The text doesn't give us the answer why they started doing that, but at first, it was mostly monoethnic. They were just sharing to Jews like them. I don't know why, but uh, if you ask me now, it's more easier for me to share with Filipinos. Probably it was the same thing at that time. Canadians probably, you know, there, was, there wasn't uh, a big language barrier. It was easier. Probably it was the same thing. But for some reason, they started to reach out to the Gentiles. And the power of the Lord was with them, it says there. And a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. Amazing. It doesn't say that when they were preaching to the Jews, it didn't give that description that it was growing. But when they started to reach cross-culturally, the text says, tells us the power of the Lord was with them and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. And then if we jump to verse 26, it was at Antioch, it says there, that the believers were first called Christians. Amazingly. Why is that? Before, we, we see from, from the text that Christians were monoethnic. They were just, and monocultural. They were they were. Jewish people from Jerusalem. But now they're starting to become more multi-ethnic, multicultural. Just like here. I'm so glad to see some of my Kababayans here. It feels like Winnipeg for me. Nice to see you all. Winnipeg. Visit us, come visit us in Winnipeg. So now they're starting to become more multi-ethnic, more multicultural. There were now Jews and Greeks and Gentiles in this new church in Antioch. And for some reason, people started calling them Christians. And I think, now this is what I think, okay? Talk to Pastor Greg after the service to check this, or to Pastor Berth, or to Jonathan. But I think... People started calling them Christians because they can't just simply call them Jews now. Because they weren't anymore. And the people probably must have been like, this is so unusual. This is something we've never seen before. Jews and Gentiles together. We can't explain it. And the only explanation that we can give Something that makes them common. They are all followers of this Jesus whom they call Christ. 
Let's call them then Christians, the followers of Christ. I think there's a reason why Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, was telling us that, why they used to only preach to Jews and now Gentiles, and then suddenly they started to be called Christians. Because to be Christian is synonymous to all people, all nations, all culture, multi-ethnic, multicultural. Christ was the unifying factor. Christ was the unifying force in this church in Antioch. And this harkens back to, I think, the message Pastor Greg preached a few weeks ago, if not last week. He said, the constitution of God's kingdom is this. It's not a matter of common culture or location, but a common devotion to Jesus. As Lord, we pledge allegiance to Jesus and that what makes us unified. We are all being saved by grace. He died for all of us. We are all forgiven of our sins through his blood. And that's what unites us. And I can imagine here, you know, generations of racial tensions between these two groups of people. Generations of prejudice that they now have to overcome in order to be one church. A church in Antioch. It must not have been easy for them. And sometimes probably you could relate to that here. It's not easy, Right? There are some jokes that I will tell you that you will not be able to relate to. And I would not come across as funny regardless of how I try to. And if I were not a follower of Jesus, I and mean, if I didn't recognize that that's what makes us common, I would walk away and be offended. But there's something greater than that that unites us. It's Jesus. It says there, his uh, devotion to Jesus as Lord, a common need for forgiveness, and a common gift of a spirit-filled love. What a great constitution for God's kingdom, right? Thank you for writing the constitution of God's kingdom, Pastor Greg. <laughs> we approve it. Just like here, it doesn't matter if you're Filipino, Canadian, Chinese, Korean, whatever. And people outside might be wondering, what are those people doing there? You know, we, we, we haven't seen this before. And I, I pray that it will be the same for us as it was for the people in Antioch. This made such a great impression, even now to the church in Jerusalem, that they had to send someone to check things out. What is this thing happening in Antioch? They sent Barnabas. When the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, says in chapter 11, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of God's blessing, God was blessing this unity. He was filled with joy, and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. They sent Barnabas to check this out, and Barnabas was so blessed with what he saw. I would like to side note here, because a side note, because Barnabas made a side trip. My family are here for the pastor's retreat and the campus, Every Nation Campus Conference, but we are also making side trips to see friends, to see the place. And what a great place. What a great city you have here in Vancouver. We're moving. That's it. With Pastor Bird's approval. No? All right. 
We have Derek in Winnipeg. He can take care of that. A side trip. Barnabas made a side trip to this, in this journey from Jerusalem to Antioch to, church, to check things out. It says in chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, Then Barnabas went on to Tarsus. Who is in Tarsus? A person we have not heard of for two chapters now. It was in chapter 9 when we last heard of him. But in year, in terms of years, it might have been 10 or 14 years. Who's in Tarsus? Paul. He was sent there because his life was in danger. And now here, Barnabas, because he's in Antioch, he traveled from South Jerusalem. He traveled north to Antioch. He traveled further up northwest to check on a friend that he used to vouch for. The only, he used to be the only person who vouched for him, remember? He checked on Saul. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. And that's one of, the thing, one of the reasons why I'm so excited to be with our leaders today. Because we're here not only to plan for and to sense God's direction for us as every nation, Canada, but also to check on each other. You know, we sometimes call each other, you know, to, to check on each other. But nothing beats in-person meeting, right? And that's what Barnabas did. He checked on Paul. Paul, how are you? You know, I, I was in Antioch, and I thought I'd visit you here just to see how you're doing. You know, are, are they, is your life still in danger? Are, are they still seeking after you? You know, the, the Christians, do they trust you now? If we would translate that today, how are you, bro? How are things with you? Do you still feel depressed sometimes? You know, if, if he's a pastor, you know, how's... Are, are people still leaving your church? Do they still complain about your preaching? Are you still having problems with your grammar for us? Are you still having problems with P and F and B and V? And do you still mix up he and she? <laughs> the Filipinos are laughing. And that's what Barnabas, was, I think, was doing here. Again, you have to check with Pastor Greg after. That's just how I imagine things were happening between Barnabas and Saul. And you know what? He said, don't worry about that. Why don't you come with me back to Antioch? Let's do ministry together. Let's learn together. Let's fix those PNFs. Let's <laughs> practice together. And he brought Saul... Later on, he would be called Paul to Antioch with him. So that it says there, both of them stay there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. And then there was a famine, a regional famine. And this church in Antioch gathered resources together. And uh, they sent Paul and Barnabas, this two dynamic duo, back to Jerusalem to deliver some aid for the church in Jerusalem. Which brings us back now to where we were reading in 1225. They returned from Jerusalem to Antioch. So that's, that's my introduction. Let's go to the main <laughs> meet right now. And that's 
Luke's description of this church in Antioch. They were back in Antioch from Jerusalem after delivering that aid to that church. So we now have two churches that we know of, the church in Jerusalem, which we can read or probably you've been studying about over the last several weeks in your series. That's the church in Jerusalem. And now we start to see the formation of a new church, a church in Antioch. These two churches would later on become one of the five major bishoprics in the early church. Jerusalem, Antioch, Alexandria, Rome, which is still today existing, and Constantinople. And uh, Paul gives us a description of that. There were in the church in Antioch prophets and teachers, and those are the names. Barnabas, one of them, Saul is one of them, Simeon, Lucius, and from the composition of this leadership, it looks multi-ethnic to me, because Lucius is a Latin name. And probably one of them had, you know, a darker complexion based from the description of the name. So they were multi-ethnic, even in their leadership. Now, um, Luke brings us from the description now to the devotion of this church. It gives us a clue to what this church was devoted to doing in verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, again, for the work to which I have called them. And from this devotion, we see two things resulting from it out of their devotion. Number one is I tucked it in within the second point. First, the, uh, the first fruit of this devotion is consecration. And then the second one, which would be our third point, would be their mission. Devotion leading to consecration. The Holy Spirit said, says there from our verse in, in verse 2. It is the Holy Spirit who said it. Set apart for me. Set apart for God. Set apart for the Holy Spirit. For the work which I have called them. We don't hear the Holy Spirit saying, ask Barnabas and Saul about this plan and see, you know, what, what they have to say. It doesn't say there, you know, ask the congregation as you fast and pray. This was a command straight from the Holy Spirit. It would seem like Barnabas and Saul had no say on this. It's the direction of the Holy Spirit. The congregation, they were just following what the Holy Spirit said to them. As a result of their devotion to prayer and fasting, they heard it clearly from the Holy Spirit. And the thing is that, you know, as I think about this, you know, what I realized that in God's kingdom, at least in the way that, you know, I, I've seen it happen in my life, in God's kingdom, we don't get to define our job description. We simply answer the call. Whatever the call is, you don't negotiate with God. Sometimes in the way we serve, we try to do that. We want to define the terms. Only in this amount of time. Only on Sunday. Lord, only on Sunday, Jonathan, I'm sorry. Or Tara. Don't put me in the, uh, whatever the app you used, you were showing us earlier. The planner. 
And only in this place, Lord, as I'm only in this campus, not that place, only this place, please. It has to align also to my priorities. Or I'm sorry, Pastor, I already made, I already made my plans this week. Is that, you know, sometimes I try to serve God in that way, but from what we learn here in this text, it was the Holy Spirit who told them. Set apart for me. Because you know what? It is the Holy Spirit that both calls us and empowers us to do what he has called us to do. He calls us, and sometimes the calling is impossible, but he is also the one who empowers us to do what he has called us to do. And sometimes, you know, when our leaders would cast vision on us, we're just staring at them, you know, yeah, okay, how are we going to do that? Well, it's the Holy Spirit that calls us and empowers us. And in following God, we are set apart. We are consecrated for his purposes, not our purposes. It's amazing that the word consecrate here is the same thing that they use in the Old Testament. When, they, when something is consecrated, you can't use that for any other purpose. No matter how seemingly insignificant that object is. If it's consecrated for the temple service, small fork, a spoon, a tongue, daily things that we probably use in the kitchen. But in the temple, if it's been consecrated for that purpose, you can't use it for any other purpose. That makes it holy. And what would make our lives holy before the Lord is when we allow him to consecrate our lives and to be used, set apart only for his purpose. For official use only. We see that sometimes on vehicles, right? Like for government. It has to advance only the purposes for which the government has brought that vehicle. If I was the employee, I can't use that vehicle as a school bus for my kids. That would be a violation of my uh, of the way that that vehicle was purchased. And same thing for us. What's God's purpose for your life? Who is calling the shots in your life? Is it God's call or is it my call? How can we hear from God this week? So we continue to devote our lives and our time in prayer even in fasting as a church, as we pray together, how can we hear from God this week? And how can we spend more time in praying with the church? And how can we allow our church to help us hear God's call in our lives? Because that's what happened to Paul and to Barnabas and Saul. This was not something that they came up with out of their own. It was done with the church. So that's the first one. Out of their devotion, they were, there was consecration. They were consecrated for the purpose of God. And lastly, this devotion led to their mission. And it seems similar. I can't help but look back to when this seems to have first happened. In Acts chapters 1 and 2. They were also doing the same thing. They were devoted to prayer. 
to the breaking of the bread, to fellowship, to the teaching. And if we would just read back in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, it says there, all these with one accord, meaning all these people, these new believers now, with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And why were they, why were, why were they, here you go, why were they doing that? We see it if we step a few verses back in verse 8. Because there was a promise that they were waiting for. They were, there was a promise that they were wait, waiting to be fulfilled. In Acts 1.8, it's a summary, but the, the Lord Jesus himself promised them to wait. Not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there and pray because he was, he was going to send the Holy Spirit to them. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. 11 or 12 chapters later, we see the same thing happening. Now here in Acts chapter 13. First in Acts chapters 1 and 2. In the church in Jerusalem. And now also here in the church in Antioch. It seems like every time Luke tells us about a group of Christians that prayed together. We're always followed is that these people left the prayer meeting empowered by, his, by the Holy Spirit to go. In Acts 1.8, when they received the Holy Spirit as a result of their waiting for this promise, praying together, they received power of the Holy Spirit and they became the witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And now here in Acts chapter 13, they were doing the same thing. They were praying. And as a result of this prayer, again, we see the same thing happening. Them witnessing and going. I think when we spend time with God in prayer, in fasting, a lot of things happen. But one thing that he always gives is a heart for the mission. A heart for a mission. When we spend time with God, He gives us a heart for a mission. Why? Because God Himself, He Himself is a missionary God. When we spend time with Him, we get that same heart from Him. Now, there's an old saying that says, Tell me who your friends are, tell, and I'll tell you who you are. Tell me who you spend the most time with, and most likely, you have the same interests. You, have, you do the same things. And when we spend time with God, since he is a missionary God, he's a missional God, we get that same heart from him. We get the same heart for lost people. We get the same heart for students in the campus. We get the same heart for people in our community. We get the same heart for, for the nations. Just this past week, Pastor Derek and Priscilla were at our house. And uh, we had a great time just catching up. And Chris, I, I hope you don't mind me sharing this story. I know in Winnipeg, we were, especially in the part where Pastor Derek and Priscilla are serving, um, near the downtown area, there's just a lot of, um, you, you can see a lot of brokenness, um, a lot of um, substance abuse and addiction, and homelessness. In fact, recently the city just put together a 
an accessible place for people to get ha a haircut, take a shower, because uh, they can't get that anywhere else. So, and these are the people that Pastor Derek and Priscilla are ministering to, and we're just so inspired by the things that they're do doing in our city. And Pris was sharing that one of the people that they're ministering to came up to her and just so appreciating what they're doing and just hug Pris. And uh, when Pris was sharing that story, I could imagine you know, what was going on. You know, if you have sensitive smell and someone from the street would hug you, you know, you'd, you'd smell. And uh, there's, Priscilla was telling that story, she said, and I just heard at that moment, God telling me, kind of, yeah, hug her or hug him. I don't remember. This is the church. This is the church. And I think that comes from the way, you know, when you spend time with God, you get that heart, you know, for, for people who are broken, for people who are going through tough times. And when we were talking about that, we just kind of connected it. Isn't that what God is doing to us every day? You know, God is holy and pure and up there. And us with our brokenness and sinfulness and the way the things that are just happening in my heart, I probably just reek, you know, with stench and sin before God, but every day, he hugs me. He takes me in. John 1.14 says, and the word became flesh. And hang out with us for a few seconds and then left. No, it says there, and the word, and the word became flesh and dwelt, built a tent, dwelt together with us, became part of us, became one of us. Eugene Peterson in the message says, he moved into the neighborhood together with us. And Paul exhorts us to have the same heart. He said, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I'm reading from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and 7. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. That's what God did. That's who Jesus is. And when we spend time with him, we get the same heart for people. Because we are all recipients of God's grace. And the good news that we carry with us it's just too good to stop with us. We need to share it. The last few verses, then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So it means they heard it all collectively as a church. They were sent by the church. The church sent their best. So don't be surprised if someday some of your best here will be sent. Is that what we do? We send our best. And Paul and Barnabas were not a renegade group. They were not a breakaway group from the church in Antioch. They were not setting off on their own. Matt is not setting off on his own in Surrey. 
They were not going their own way. They were sent. And they were blessed. The church blessed them. Then in verse 4, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. From there, they sailed to Cyprus. Being sent out, they went. It doesn't say whether they were asked. It simply says, so being sent out, they went. And I see um, something that's called inclusion. I'm not sure, John, if you from the way that the verse was started, the text was started, 1225, Barnabas and Saul returned. And then the verses between them and then the last verse. So being sent out, they went. Haven't they just returned? Then only a few verses later, off they go again. And Barnabas and Saul returned. And now being sent out, they went. Then in verse 5, when they arrived, they preached. Simple life, right? I wanted to make that my life. I arrived, returned, being sent out. I went. When I got there, I preached. Being sent out, they went. When they got there, they preached. Will that be said? Of us as well. I haven't told my wife about this yet, but make that my epitaph. I hope. It would be nice, right? Being sent, sent out, they went. When he arrived, they preached. Where are you going to be sent this week? Which campus are you going to go? Which community? Who are you going to reach to this week? What nation is God impressing in your heart? At least to start praying for. So, in this kind of sandwich, the top bun, they had just re returned. As we close, let's just see what's in between. The top bond, they have just arrived, verse 25. And then the lower bond says, if, in, like, as if in a sandwich, being sent out, they went and preached. So when we go back to that question, what is the meaning of the gathered church? When we gather, it would seem from this text, they, they gathered, they, they returned to Jerusalem, they gathered together to pray and to fast, but they didn't stop with gathering. They heard the voice of God to go to be sent out and go. Now, as we gather here today, I know we gather every Sunday as a church. Let's not forget that this is not just about being gathered. It's about from this place, we are being sent out. From gathering, being sent out, and we will go to our communities. We will go to our campuses. We will go to the people that God is impressing in our hearts. And may it be said of us as well what's being said here for Paul and Barnabas. Let us be willing, although they have just arrived, they don't mind packing their stuff again. Only a few verses later, off they go. They arrived, being sent, they went back. The purpose of our gathering, the purpose of the gathered church, is not only to be gathered, but to be sent out.
because we are supposed to be the light, the salt and light of the world. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this small section in the book of Acts. Lord, help us always remember that we gather to be sent out. We're not just here to Ekbalo, but help us, Lord God, to be apostello, to be sent out to our communities, to our campuses, to the nations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much, Pastor Prime. I, I'm struck by this whole idea of, of consecration being set apart for something to be sent out. You know, I think of Pastor Bird, he's the Canadian director. That's clear. You can imagine some a group of people laying hands on him. He's a great leader. Um, I don't know that we would all see ourselves that way. You know, oh, there's some pastors here, they've been selected. But have you been selected? Have you been set aside by the living God to be his mouthpiece in your uh, school, in your work, in your community, in your family? Do you know that about yourself? And I'm, I, I would like us to continue to worship. And can you let yourself receive being set apart? It's not just for pastors or, uh, it's for you. So let's stand together and let's spend this moment being a moment of worshiping God and, and receiving our calling, being set apart for his plans and purposes. Thank you so much, Pastor Prime. Let's worship.